Welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast series designed to discuss technological and cultural change um, in part uh, to the COVID-19 crisis we find ourselves in. So I'm your host, Matt Roberts. Um, We are now at episode four. And before we begin, I urge you to subscribe to our podcast, which is available on all good podcast channels. And please visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors, where we have, as I've said before, a treasure trove of content and videos and survey results and even free gifts uh, for you to enjoy. So please visit that. So we're at episode four today, as I've mentioned. We're going to talk about a subject that's very close to my heart and very close to my profession, and that is marketing. I think the effects of of being indoors and locked down over the last three months has affected marketing uh, in in quite an incredible and seismic way, and that's what we're going to discuss today. And I'm pleased to welcome to today's podcast, Mr. Alex Schifrin. Alex, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thank you kindly. So as I ask all of my guests on this series, where are you enjoying The Great Indoors, Alex, and who are you with? Oh, at home. I've been at home for the last nearly three months, and I've been enjoying it a bit more outside because we're lucky and fortunate enough to have a backyard, but uh, it's, been, um, it's been contained, uh, although I do take the occasional spin on my motorcycle. Nice, nice. And the weather's nice right now, right? In Toronto, where you are, it's nice, hey? It's gorgeous. I I look forward to the week of summer that we have. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) Let me give you some background on Alex. I've known him for a number of years. He's the president of LPAD, an agency that has offices here in Toronto and San Francisco. It's fair to say that LPAD is one of the most creative and, and renowned marketing agencies in Toronto. Prior to that, Alex was the CEO of Sachi and Sachi in Russia, uh, in Moscow. And prior to that role, he was president of TCF, a creative agency, which was acquired by Sachi. So Alex, in his spare time, is in a punk band. What's your punk band called? Uh, I'll use the acronym. It's uh, FWNB. Okay. Uh, you, you can Google that if you want okay. the naughty version. Take a look. Take a look, everybody. <laughs> he tinkers with his motorcycle and he chases his three small kids around the house. As I mentioned there, LPAD is a brand consultancy who help us, specifically Amdocs, and also some of the world's largest and smallest companies position and communicate their brand. And to that end, LPAD have worked with companies including Maserati, the Toronto Raptors, Go Raptors, Tabasco, the Red Cross, and of course, those guys at Amdocs. So welcome, Alex. Thank you. You know, I had a thought about the Raptors. Since the season's been cancelled, does that mean that we are champions two years in a row? I think so, right? And I had this discussion with the team before, because obviously you know I'm a big Premier League and I'm a big uh, ML. I'm a big soccer supporter. Yes, and that they're going to finish the MLS season in one month in Orlando in Universal Studios, right? Not Universal Studios, the theme park, and they're going to just finish it all in one swift sort of World Cup style tournament. I believe they're going to do the same with NBA at the Walt Disney Resort in Orlando at a similar time. Really, I had no idea. That's fascinating. That That's almost like when you watch those dystopian films from the 80s, and rather than go to full-scale war, you know, they have the two leaders just battle it out, and whoever wins, you know, that's kind of where everybody goes. Well, the Premier League started again in England last night, and I had the Arsenal-Manchester City game on, 
and it was surreal. There was obviously nobody in the crowd. The subs sat five rows apart, and the TV channel put in artificial crowd sounds to mimic what was happening in the game. It was one of the most... It's going to take some time to get used to that, for sure. Have you ever seen that uh, film King of Comedy? It had uh, Robert De Niro as as kind of a comic that's gone a little bit insane, and he would do all of these stand-ups to cut out figures of people or famous people. I don't think I've seen that, no. You should watch it, because that's kind of what we've become. We've all become Artie Fufkin from uh, We've all from become avatars. Yeah, exactly. So let, let's talk about what's gone on in the world of marketing. Obviously, something that you and I discuss and deal with daily. But it was obvious things were going to take a strange turn in the world of marketing, particularly in the telecoms industry that I'm a part of, when, you know, back in February, the GSMA cancelled the biggest event, uh, arguably the biggest event of any kind um, in the world, which is the, the the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, right? I mean, and this event I, I've been attending since it was 3GSM in Cannes, and there's huge investment, huge amounts of people, over 100,000 people a day. You know, it's a, a, a massive event. And literally, it had to be cancelled because companies, were, and we were one of the first companies to announce that we wouldn't attend because of the safety of our employees. But that obviously, that, that was... That was like, if you will, the earth shake, right? The, the earthquake, rather, that things were, were going to get a bit strange this year. As we've gone through this pandemic, all those physical events have, of course, been cancelled, right? And they've all fallen by the wayside, literally. I mean, MWC Los Angeles was cancelled just this week as well. So. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. I mean, what's interesting is, not even interesting, what's factual is you're right, and those certainly have a huge application in, in the telco space and, and where Amdox is, but you also have to realize that the world canceled, you know, everything canceled on a wholesale and on a retail level. We all stayed in, right? Everything stopped. I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and, and anyone you have a conversation with and, and you try to emphasize the thing that you find yourself in, you also have to realize that everybody's fighting themselves in the same thing. We, we had a conversation with, I think it was actually the TMF uh, early on, the Time Management Forum early on when a lot of this was starting to unfold. And this was shortly after GSMA was canceled. And, and I think the conversation at that point was, well, should we be looking at uh, some kind of a crisis PR plan? And, and I think pretty quickly it became obvious that this isn't a crisis. This just is, right? You don't need to treat something that is a crisis if the entire world simultaneously slips into the same reality, right? Yeah. No, and I think, you know, it wasn't like anybody was exempt from what was happening. Everything stopped on the event front. And I think from a marketing perspective, particularly in the B2B world, these events are a huge, you know, they're a huge spend item for us. They're a huge investment in time for everybody involved. It was uh, unprecedented. And, and then, this is what I'm going to discuss now, there was this rush, this panic so, okay, we have to go virtual. So all the big exhibitors there, all the big um, announcements, all the keynotes, it was, we have to go virtual. We have to do something virtual. And this is this is something that's, that's carried on through this pandemic. Everybody wanting to then do their customer interactions, their customer events, even the industry events in a virtual platform. 
Anyway, th- th- there's a lot of it, an awful lot of it. But what's your experience with this virtualization of events? I know you've been involved in some stuff in Toronto. How effective is it and how long lasting could it be? I'll say a couple of things. I mean, the first is about event culture generally. I think prior to the pandemic, where we were at a very advanced stage, certainly for some industries, definitely telco, for investment and spend. You know, when people rushed into these virtual events, I think it was almost on the assumption or the hope that there was this impending need to spend. Um, I think it got to a point where, uh, you know, Ericsson didn't want to spend less than Huawei, who didn't want to spend less than, than Amdocs, who didn't want to spend less than, than the next major player in the space. But really, was there a need to spend that much? You know, it's like, who's going to blink first? Everything kind of reset. And, and I think you're, you know, it's almost like the market adjusting. It's, it's like when they let currencies float and take the natural course of what, what there is for, for, for demand for it. I think that there was an appetite for it, but I think everyone overassumed the demand for these virtual experiences. Yeah. That's the first thing. I think there's I think there's a place for them, but I don't think that I don't think they're that that what people kind of hoped in terms of it offsetting um uh the return uh, materialized. The second is I think that there was and I'm not blaming anybody, but I because there was no time. You know, it was Monday everything stopped and Tuesday you need to be running kind of thing, right? So what do you do? You go with the stuff that you know. So I think one of the things that happened really quickly is a lot of um, companies tried to extrapolate what they know of the face-to-face experience into the virtual space. Um, whereas I, I think that you know it's just it's not quite as intimate. It's not as tactile. You're not you're not having these kinds of uh, you know not all of your senses are being engaged when you're when you're there meeting with people. Different things are happening. So trying to just take this one thing and transplant it onto a different platform. It, it's wonky. It doesn't quite work as as well as we think it does. So, yeah. what we're seeing now is 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 new best practices emerging from people who took a step back, looked at the platform for what it is, the virtual platform, and and thought to themselves, okay, so how do I create the effect of what took place at events in a very very different cognitive experience? So I think that was the thing, right? That the, the platforms weren't ready. Uh, no one anticipated this crisis happening so we tried to you know fit these virtual platforms to mimic these physical events and i don't know i i don't know i don't know how successful it was i i don't know how successful it could be but it is it is a strange anomaly so tell me i know you've been involved in some virtual events which ones have worked and for what reasons you know in, interestingly that there, there's some that we've collaborated on with um there's a, there's a motivational speaker. His name is Misha Gluberman. He also hosts events, and he's done some very, I would say, innovative things in terms of getting people to um, interact at these events. When you go to events, to some extent, it's topic-driven, but really, you go there to meet people, to meet people you haven't seen for a while. You go there to network. You go there to throw about your gravitas. You go there for the interactivity. I would argue more so than the topics themselves. The topics are valuable. Uh, I'm not. I'm not discounting that. But if you're if you're not getting that, the the connecting part, it, it's you know, it just it kind of feels a little hollow. And, and he's done a very good job of of realizing that. Okay, so topic centric. And by the way, I think that's the big mistake with with a lot of companies. They kind of figured, okay, let's just be out there with topics that we think are relevant. And, you know, people care less about that for, for a couple of reasons. One, there's a lot of it. 
Two, people are, you know, they're, they're at home. They're missing connections with people. Like, that's what they're craving. They're not craving to learn the latest thinking of what will happen after you um, go back to the workforce after COVID. I saw something on, on your Facebook, and I, I'd like you to talk about it because I thought it was pretty cool. And it's something we, that people are toying with to getting people to these virtual events is to have some big name speakers, right? Now, that's that's nothing new in physical events. But I know that I, I saw on Facebook you having a conversation with Margaret Atwood. Yeah, yeah. This was one of those VIP events that I, men- that I mentioned that was moderated by, by Misha. Um, it's kind of content strategy if you think about it. Like, uh, you know, remember in the mid 2000s when YouTube just kind of became the thing and all of a sudden everybody was a broadcaster uh, and now uh, everyone is a broadcaster. And if you are looking for any kind of entertainment or informational topic, there's a video for it. It's out there. It's the same thing with, with music, same thing with with any kind of events. If you want to draw people to it, as I said before, it can't be topic driven. People need to think that it's a unique experience. And more importantly, they need to be able to tell others after the event that they were there and here's what it was, right? Um, there, there's a little bit of a first discovery kind of a thing. So imagine being at an event with Beyonce or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, and you, you want to tell people about that. Imagine being at an event where they talk about the latest release of Microsoft. I mean, it, it's it's neat, but you're not going to tell anybody about it. And you probably could, could download that at some point later if you need to. You're not posting that on Instagram, are you? Well, no, unless you, you know, work at Microsoft, I suppose. You know, but like if you're at, at an event with somebody remarkable, you want to be there right away, be the first, and then be the first to talk about it because, you know, because you were there. Yeah. Just for our people listening in who might not be aware of who Margaret Atwood is, but she's a famous Canadian author responsible for The Handsmaid's Tale which is also filmed here in the greater Toronto area. Why, why I brought that up is because I live right near where they film. Uh, have you seen it, Alex? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, seen it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that was that was required curriculum reading in school when I was in school. Ah, right. I mean, Margaret Atwood is like a national treasure here. <laughs> yeah. My wife is an, an enormous fan of that series, and, and they film part of it here where I live. And it's the, it's the amphitheater where people are, what for a better word, euthanized for causing some offense or something in, in the particular series. So whenever I walk past it with my dogs, I get a bit of a shiver down my spine. It's a bit strange. Anyway, let's move on. And, and what do you think the future holds for events now, given what's happened in the last three months? Has it changed forever? Are we going to see 150,000 people daily in Barcelona and 200,000 in Las Vegas for CES? What, what do you think is going to happen? Well, let me ask you a question. When, do you think you're going to shake many hands from, from here on in? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you, if you think about it, even, even in our field, marketing, we refer to these things as touch points, right? Every time you interact with a consumer. And that comes from an understanding of, of, of a tactile relationship between people. That's all kind of gone away. So we call them touch points almost at this point out of some uh, quaint his- historical past. I think it, of course, is going to change. I think the need to, well, the need to have a job and to propagandize your, your brand and, and be out there, that's not going to change. The need for people to meet and interact and connect, that's not going to change. The way that it's going to happen, I, I think that there is now a conditioned uh, approach to the way that people are going to you know, approach touch points. And we, as marketeers, have to, have to reshift our paradigm, you know, to use that cliche, 
um, and and be in those new touch points. I, I heard the word mentioned hybrid event, right? Yeah. Uh, and I hope it doesn't catch on because I think it sounds absolutely awful. But the, 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 an event would be part virtual, part physical. And I'm, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But again, for the last three months, I haven't traveled more than two kilometers from my house. So I don't know how comfortable I would be in six months getting on a plane to start with, flying to somewhere like Las Vegas. I don't know. I, I think everyone's mental conditioning needs to change over this. I think some things will change, but I don't think it's uh, like we'll, we'll get over this and we'll start to do the things that we do. I think we'll do some things very differently. But I can't imagine that we will only ever exist in our homes and never venture forth again kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's shift gears and talk about a subject that I, I think is very close to your heart and the effect that the pandemic has had on the advertising industry in particular. And it's it, look, it isn't new. There's been a shift to digital over the last few years that's been completely noticeable. You know, when we look at the social media giants, when we look at the rise of Google, you know, as as advertising platforms. But one thing that I thought was startling was that advertising spend is down massively across the world, right? And this is nothing new. It typically, you know, follows GDP. So if you go into a recession, advertising spend will fall, etc. But I think what's remarkable about the data points that I have in from the World Economic Forum is TV advertising is down 21% since the start of the pandemic. Search advertising is down 8%. Out of doors is down 20%, which kind of makes sense. There's not a lot of people out of doors. We're all indoors, right? But get this, digital video is up by 5%. That's the only category of ad spend uh, that has increased during this pandemic. So there's, you know, there's this shift to digital. But what what are your thoughts on how advertising has just been completely shaken up by everything that's going on right now? Well, I, I think that there's a couple of things happening. First is that there's been a really sharp adjustment in in the way that spend looks, and and that's very high short term, right? Uh, we all kind of went into lockdown for two three months. Everybody stopped and recoiled on any kind of spend or spend commit over the next two or three months. I think more realistic indicators, you should be looking at six to 12 months out. You expect everyone to just stop spend. In fact, you know, one of the first things to get uh, halted when there's any kind of a business uncertainty is, is marketing budgets and advertising spend. I mean, it's just, it's like the front line. It's a lot of companies, especially in B2B, still view it as a cost center rather than, um, uh, you know, the not. So that gets cut. Um, so that is that. That's an easy one. Um, in terms of the channels that we're talking about, uh, and everyone's been saying this, but really we're just seeing an acceleration of of trends, right? TV spend is down. Well, you know who watches TV? Ah, you know, I, I, we, we shut off. It is funny. We shut off our cable probably three or four years ago. We haven't gone back. We, we everything's on demand for us now, or OTT kind of um, uh, content delivery. I, I don't know when the last time I bought a print publication was. You know, so of course, print is down. Uh, out of home makes sense because everyone is in home. Um, but I, I still think there's a place for out of home because it's at the very least it's it's something that's very very directional. Um, you know, and, and if people at some point need to go to places, 
something around those places will exist as advertising. It won't be as big as it was, but I don't think it's as big anyway. There's there's a lot of urban regulation about um, out of home anyway, uh, because some cities have it banned altogether because it's unsightly and interferes with uh, with uh, some of the architectural schematics. So you know that kind of makes sense. Um, and then you know, digital is just um, it's such a catch-all word. We really need to find better ways to fragment it, but you know, digital is now everything. You're not watching TV because you're watching it in the digital space. You're not looking out of out of home because you're traveling in the digital space, right? As in you're surfing online. So it's to go back to this, this touch points idea. That's kind of where we are. So that's where advertising is. Uh, advertising spend is down because it's the front line of, uh, of, of cutbacks when there's uncertainty. There's massive uncertainty. And I think in the, in the same report, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the main body, if you will, that is spending money on out-of-doors advertising is governments and local authorities to remind you of your obligations to public health, right? So they're putting up right, the yeah. out-of-doors, wash your hands, keep your social distancing. So I thought that was uh, that was really interesting. And, and I think you're right about the TV. And this is going to get us into to, to another marketing um, point here. But yeah, who, who's putting out? ads now live on particularly live on tv particularly because sport has only just come back right but we're getting that through our subscription channels anyway the zone up in here in canada is it's a real change right before we um started recording this podcast alex sent over to me a uh, really funny but uh, alarmingly interesting youtube video that shows how all advertising has become homogenous during this crisis and it's unprecedented the amount of times i've heard the word unprecedented just just talk about that video would you uh, alice this sort of took off in the in the ad community but someone took a series of major brand advertisers who have uh, put out commercials during the covid epidemic and he, they've shown how the dynamic and the flow and the music and the timber, if you will, of all the ads as well as the messages are are practically the same. You know, they all start off with a similar somber music. They talk about in these uncertain times. They talk about some of the challenges we're facing, but we're facing them together. They talk about um, how we're going to come out of this. We've always been there for you. We've been around for 50 years. I noticed they all needed to get in the origins of their company almost to show some stability. Yeah. If you focus group and you test certain messages, they'll test well, right? It's almost like an AI engine created all of these ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell you what, we, we have video companies coming to us, trying to sell us these tools to create videos, which is just like drag and drop the same stuff, right? So it is almost a little bit like an AI bot has said, okay, what do people need to hear? What do they want to hear right now? And out comes these, uh, the, these videos that are almost indistinguishable um, with, with their similar messages, music, ambience, uh, and everything. So I think that's really cool. Check it out. We'll put it on our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. But I think it's, uh, it's fascinating to see that. Let's talk about a platform. And you and I have had this conversation before. And, and I found this quite startling is, is Facebook Live. And the, the, the mechanisms of actually broadcasting through these platforms rather than the traditional platforms of, you know, cable TV or, or so forth. And I'll give you my personal experience of this during the pandemic, right, and why I think this is interesting. And the statistics are that 
of all digitally streamed content is now done through Facebook Live and similar platforms, right? Which I thought was was incredible. But where where it really hits me is if you're if if you're sat at your desk, if you're at home, you'll get a notification for Facebook Live if you follow CBC or the BBC or CNBC to say, okay, we're now going to broadcast the latest uh, on the coronavirus crisis from Justin Trudeau. Click here. And then you're automatically on any device redirected to this live broadcast that you can engage with and interact with, right, on that on the platform of choice. And I imagine there's similar things. It would be good to hear an example of how you've used that. But what do you think the implications are on that for marketing for advertising, and even going back to our first point, on events? I think you have to look at yourself and realize whether you're a destination brand or whether you're not. And what I mean by destination is, and I'm going to kind of widen what I mean by brands. Let's say you're Yeezy Shoes, or let's say you're, I don't know, you're Billie Eilish. You're a destination brand. Billie Eilish could drop a new single anywhere, and people will go there because it's Billie Eilish dropping a new single. Um, if you are a, uh, a B2B brand that needs to pull people in, you're going to have a bit of a challenge and you should go to where the people are rather than wait for them to come to you. It's like football, right? If you've ever seen uh, some of those kiosks on the street, you have uh, one guy selling hot dogs and there's a bunch of people five meters over. There's a guy selling hot dogs and there's nobody there because that's just the way the football goes. Um, it's the same thing in, in virtual spaces. Facebook Live, is that's just where people congregate. Uh, and if you're not a destination brand, go to where the people are um, and then, you know, say your thing. It's really interesting. I don't know what the future holds, right? And I noticed that, that Facebook, um, even Facebook video, they offer up short form content based on your habits and based on what you're looking at and, and, and even what you've searched for, right? It's, 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 it's really getting personalized. But you touched on something then that I, that I want to bring in now as well, and that's brand. Yeah. For a company's brand, everybody's gone digital. Everybody's now engaging digitally. What should a company do to look after their brand? What What's the, I don't know what the right way to say this is, that not the brand opportunities, because this is not a time for exploitation. This is not a time almost even for selling. But who comes out of this crisis with their brand either A, intact or B, enhanced? Well, I mean, if you're talking about right now, now is the time to be doing rather than uh, evangelizing. Um, and, and there's been a number of studies published. You know, Chorus Entertainment actually published a study about a month and a half back about people's perceptions of brands. And there was a disproportionate amount of people, something like 20% of people, asked brands just just not not to even talk at this point. You know, now isn't the time. I th- I'm going to quote you, in fact. Um, you said this to me about a few weeks ago. Uh, the world just had a heart attack. We don't need anyone to sell us office furniture. Yeah. The great Matt Roberts. Yeah, the great Matt Roberts. Actually, I have some, I have some statistics here. Uh, people are panicked. They're worried. They're, uh, they're, they're wondering how long the emergency are going to continue. They're, there's some worries about the global economy, the local economy. They're definitely less worried about the things that they were concerned a month or two ago. There's a certain amount of uncertainty. Like 50% of the people don't know when things are going to go back to normal. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing, the, the sort of opaqueness of, of what the future holds. People had a had an understanding or at least had a, had a gut feel for where things were heading. Now, 
on every level. They have no idea, and that's massively disconcerting. They're spending less, and what they're spending more on is just food and essentials, which kind of feels very um, you know post-apocalyptic, if you will. 20% want advertisers to stop. 56% of the people surveyed want, um, uh, if you're going to advertise, they want to know what it is that you're doing for consumers. 50%, and this relates to uh, essentials, want to know where they can get their items in uh, in current times. In, in my opinion, I think the best thing you can be doing as a company is making sure your employees are getting paid on time and no one's being laid off, right? You look at Microsoft, you know, one of the things that they did was um, their campuses have been closed down for months, but they are making sure that the people that work in the um, uh, cleaning the place or the people that work in uh, in some of the canteens are being paid. Those are low wage employees who are heavily influenced by people being or not being at this location. So they, they're they're not just paying the, the, the people who are staying at home. They're making sure that the outside infrastructure is still getting paid. We have a cleaning lady for our office. I, I've been making sure that she gets paid, even though she's not been in the office for almost three months now. Right? I mean, it's. I, I think if you, as a brand, can 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 take a step back and, and be human um, and do something for the greater good rather than worry too much about what the opportunities are today, uh, people will get that. We talked about this in episode one of this series, right? And it would be good to get your... And I'm not neutral because I'm in the tech business, right? So I I, I can't give an ambivalent sort of neutral view here. But the brands that are really suffering in this crisis is no doubt it's travel and tourism, right? I mean, they've been smashed. I mean, and it's not their fault, obviously. Restaurants, retail. I mean, they've taken a huge hit. Now, the technology companies and the companies that we serve, I've, I, I find that there's a bit of a, not to say that the technology companies are the, are the saviors in, in all of this. We're keeping everybody connected. We're p- keeping people's lives running. But surely the tech companies, you know, the, their brand and their image will be enhanced by this crisis. And what I mean is, I think going into this crisis, there was a lot of negativity on some tech companies. And as I said, it was always said that children were spending too much time looking at their tablets and phones. Our friends online weren't our real friends. You know, we were spending too much consuming digital content and binge watching on Netflix. But these things now are a positive for the situation that we're in. So do you think the tech companies will come out of this with an enhanced brand position? I think so. And I think it's happening already. I was reading an article yesterday where I can't remember whether it's the FDA or who in the US uh, uh, government organs approves this kind of stuff. But they've recently, uh, at a government federal level, approved a video game as a therapy for ADHD, right? Which is, which, which is to me, uh, insane, right? I'm I'm old enough that you know stop playing video games, go out and play that that kind of thing, right? That that's a motto. Here we have the medical profession prescribing uh, kids to play video games as, as a as a therapy for ADHD. The gaming industry itself is uh, is taking on new proportions. It might even displace live sports, right? So on a uh, you know in Facebook, which is kind of villainous in a lot of people's eyes, is as you said. It's now a platform for um, for for broadcasting all kinds of events. There's a certain wariness because of its ubiquity, I think. But I think it's actually coming out of um, through this process 
with an upward trajectory in terms of reputation rather than downward trajectory. Um, and, and also, if you think about it, you name a few industries that are dying off, you know, before, or not dying off, that's a bad way of putting it, who are, that are suffering. And, and, and it's facing massive layoffs or job loss altogether. Uh, tech is a, is a place that these, these people can go. It's about retraining. It's about repurposing and going into new fields. If tech is going through a boom, uh, I think tech needs to be embraced uh, and, and people need to be retrained to be able to re-enter the workforce in a new space like tech. You think about machine learning was displacing um, uh, manual labor at um, at a lot of manufacturing facilities, but uh, for some it was an opportunity to retrain and 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 re-enter a better, higher-paying, better future um, workplace. Tech is that. Yeah, definitely for sure. And I think this next subject, I think, is is something close. It's it's clo- It's something I'm. Would I say I'm enjoying or something that that's that's making this current crisis interesting as a marketeer and that's creativity right because we're now living in an almost entirely digital and online world people's expectations towards a brand and digital experience is really changing and i think it's no longer about clicks downloads and impressions it's about engagement right it's about experimenting i think we're in a a period of experimental marketing right we're trying new and different things to improve our brand get engagement reach out to new personas you know we're trying those things and i think this podcast series was driven a little bit by that sort of desire to do something a little bit different a little bit creative what what are some good examples you've seen out there of people getting really creative uh, during these times well, I'll say one thing before before I, I get to that. I think we have yet to see the the harvest, if you will, of creativity from what's happening today. I mean, if you think about creativity as the expression of storytelling or people's experiences, you know, I've yet to see. I mean, we're still watching movies of people kind of going out there and traveling. We're still watching movies from last year or 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 that were produced last month. We're not really watching content that was created in the reality uh, of everybody sitting at home with the exception of, of, of some of the, um, what was that Bruce Willis film where he was an avatar. Um, what I'm saying is that today's experience has yet to be published and, it, and that's going to happen soon. So I think we're, that's where we'll see a lot of that creativity. What I've seen, where I've seen a lot of interesting adaptations is the ability to think small and create big. A lot of production companies are starting to do big looking productions that are taking place at somebody's uh, houses or apartments or are using uh, smaller crews or using clever innovations with less materials to make it look like it's uh, something far bigger than what it is. And I'm always amazed to see the new crop of smaller productions with bigger messages. Normally, particularly in the B2B world, You'd schedule a webinar, you'd deliver a presentation that was about your products and services, then you would analyze how good that was or how successful that was by, you know, again, like I said, the amount of impressions and click-through rates and people that signed up, and then ultimately the pipeline and the funnel. I think now, and I I like it, I like the, the notion of going from presentations to programs, Things that are interesting in ways to market are things like talk shows, chats, coffee breaks, you know, things that force the person, 
that you're engaging or, or that you're trying to engage with to engage back with you. When we recorded the podcast episode last week with, with Vicky Slight, one of the things we talked about in diversity, if you're working from home, you can't just sit back and let other people you know, run a meeting or, 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 or be the main proponent in any meeting. You have to engage to be relevant, right? I agree. And I think, that's, I think we're seeing that in marketing. It's about engagement. I, I think what you're doing, I think this podcast is exactly what uh, B2B marketeers should be looking at. Uh, I, I think there's still a place for data-driven net casting of lead generation searches. I think that the the, the broad data driven campaigns is still still a place for it, but I, I think true content storytelling, one to one conversations, having to sweat through this, that's what's um, what's needed right now. And I I also saw that in the first month of the pandemic, one of the most heavily shipped items on uh, Amazon was podcast mics. <laughs> that's funny we're up against a lot of competition so just again please subscribe to this thing everybody please no i'm joking so look um any other examples of experimental marketing that that you've seen out there alex over the last few months anything around giveaways or gamification anything that's made you think well that's interesting you know what i uh, what i found really fascinating is what fortnite has been doing so, you know, Fortnite is, has, has kind of become the, the weekend hangout place. They now have uh, high-profile DJs like Steve Aoki, I think, does uh, or did some set. People look forward to going to Fortnite this weekend to hang out with people at the DJ party. The name escapes me, but there's that, that Animals game as well. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Is it Animal Jam? I can't remember, but but there's a similar sort of a thing where you're, uh, it's a virtual game where you're raising animals and, and you're hanging out in a virtual environment. But because people happen to have been in this virtual space, they're all being repurposed for virtual marketing and engagement opportunities. Uh, and it, it, it might just be that these unexpected places like Fortnite is where even B2B brands are going to find themselves advertising uh, at some point. So because that's where people are congregating. You know, it's sort of the next step up from people aren't just sitting around on our Instagram or Facebook watching a text feed. Uh, that's not enough, right? Uh, and because they happen to have been on Fortnite, they're now out there partying on Fortnite. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I hope you don't mind. Do you TikTok? Sometimes. I, I find that um, I'm probably 20 years too old to TikTok. <laughs> my wife's tried to get me to do some TikTok thing, and and you know I, I I fear that my 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 dance skills just ain't what they used to be. The reason I ask is it it does feel like a very young thing, right? My children use TikTok, obviously, with my wife's uh, and I's supervision and permission. But I've I've seen a lot of brands, and I've seen a lot of success stories over the last few months through the use of TikTok. Right. And um, like I said before, it's digital. It encourages engagement. Uh, people have created episodes and mini series around themselves. And um, even Drake pushed his last song through using TikTok to promote it and a, and a dance and stuff. But I think it seems a touchy subject amongst people of our generation. I, I have asked people if they've used it before and they tend to get offended. 
but but that's a different question. Like I don't I don't use it as much as others do. Do I think it's a valid channel? Well, hell yeah, uh, it's it's exploded. People are on it. Brands are on it. It's working. That's where eyeballs are. Again, back to the idea of touch points. If that's where people are, you got to be there. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And let's let's talk about personalized experiences as well and personalization. And this is something that was being talked about before this pandemic, right? And I used to talk about it a lot in my big data days, the ability to offer targeted offers at the right time to an individual based on their habits, personalizing landing pages, personalizing assets. And this this is, you know, this micro segmentation, treating your target audience as a segment of one, as opposed to a segment of two million, three million. Do you think there's been any acceleration in the use of personalized marketing? as a result of us all being indoors. I think so. But also, if you go back to what I said about people congregating in virtual spaces like Fortnite, each one of those avatars that people create, that's a self-propagated and self-served targeting beacon, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a much more granular sort of capacity. You are, um, it's almost like a 3D model of, of, of everything that you do in, in this virtual space. Uh, and people expect, you know, people, you don't walk out there as a generic white box interacting with other generic white boxes. Uh, you are self-selecting how you are out there, uh, your preferences, the interests that you have. Um, same with, uh, with, with other similar platforms. So if that's the behavior of consumers, then, yeah, you have to have these uh, hyper-individual targeted approaches, which, again, is why I'm saying I think what you're doing versus um, um, uh, these massive data plays have have taken a, a different relevance right now uh, than than maybe it would have before, right? Because I think there was always, con- particularly in the consumer side, sensitivity of misuse of data and all these things. Do you think consumers are more open to data being used to give them more targeted offers as a result of this pandemic? I think the way that data is being used is so much more nuanced and complicated than when it was simply about entering your name in, in, in a few pieces of data. If you explain to people the depth of, of analysis and, um, and profiling that happens, they might get upset. But I also think that there's such a implicit and almost accidental usage of this data for very sophisticated algorithm profiling that I don't know people truly grasp how they are being profiled in, in ways that are kind of indirect. So I think if you, if you sat someone down and told them what's happening and how it's being used, they'd get upset. Uh, but I think that for the most part, there's, there's a bit of a gap between how people know <laughs> and, 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 and how it's actually being done, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the, the governments as well have, have wanted to, I, I've seen this in England, and obviously we saw it in Korea, use these track and trace apps that, you know, they put in your mobile device and use your data. And people have been up in arms about it, right? But this is designed to save lives and, and, and to save people. So, But it's happening and it's being served up on Facebook. I, I, I noticed that just yesterday. You can take a survey that is being positioned as a way to help contain the spread of COVID, which is basically you self-opting into more granular movement profiling. Okay. So look, we're, we're coming towards the end of today's podcast, but to close... What do you see as being the permanent or long-lasting effects on the science or discipline of marketing following this 
crisis that we find ourselves in? Marketing or advertising agencies? Well, both. What do you think out of those categories that we discussed, what do you think is the biggest long-lasting change on any of those categories, whether it's advertising, brand, events, and engagement? I think we're going to see a return to humanity. I think we saw a bit of a, a cast away from that and, and uh, an embrace of data. And you actually saw that with revenue leaving agencies and going to the management consultancies, the, the PwCs, the uh, the Accentures, who were big on data and less on the, um, uh, you know, they're, they're very quant and less qual kind of thing. Yeah. I think with people starting to realize that there is a certain humanity to all of this and people miss being around other people and, and the stories and the one-on-ones and the, and the, and the discoveries and, and all of that, we're going to see a, a bit of a push away from the mass data and, and maybe a little bit more towards the storytelling, the creativity, the, the, the qualitative kind of creative that we saw, I don't know, when advertising was in its heyday, I suppose. I think that's a really nice conclusion to this discussion. There'll be a return to personal, personality and humanity, right? As we go from the great indoors to the great outdoors, I guess. What's the first thing you're going to do when you come out of... Because uh, I know that in in central in downtown Toronto, you're still lockdown, lockdown, right? Where I think we, we've eased a little bit out here in the suburbs. But what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, I have to confess, I've been at the office for about a week now, okay. <laughs> but there's been nobody there. But, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I think the first thing I'm going to do is have a drink with someone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man, let's set it up. Yep. Okay, well, thank you very much, Alex. It's been a fascinating discussion. And I think when the time zips by as quickly as it just has, you realize what a good discussion that was. So please, just a reminder, visit our webpage, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors, where you can claim, as I mentioned last week, your free The Great Indoors coloring book, which actually was designed by Alex's agency right here in Toronto. So thank you very much. Our pleasure. And we will see you next week for our next episode. So stay safe, everyone. Continue to enjoy The Great Indoors. And uh, we'll love to hear from you again very soon. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Matt. Take care.